What do you have when you bring blockchain and supply chain together? Well, you get Omnichain, a powerful solution helping companies efficiently use data blocks to better predict and have seamless supply chains. If you missed my episode with Diane Sullivan, VP at Omnichain last week, check it out wherever you subscribe to podcasts under episode 108 or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. I grew up with supply chain in my blood. I spent eight years in logistics operations and another eight in sales talking to shippers and BCOs, learning all about their pain points. Visibility is one of the biggest blockers to supply chain performance and knowing where your cargo is, well, that's just the beginning. What you really want to do is avoid surprises. Terminal 49 is an ocean freight visibility platform that's out to change the game for importers and brokers. They provide an easy to use unified dashboard with track and trace functionality to replace querying hundreds of separate steamship line and terminal websites. Just by entering the bill of lading number, you will receive proactive alerts when there's an ETA change, container holds, or anything that requires action. Best of all, they can automatically update all the data you need for forecasting directly in the systems you use today, even spreadsheets. Check out Terminal49.com forward slash LTSC to learn more about Terminal 49 and they've agreed to give Let's Talk Supply Chain listeners 20% off their first year. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This week has been a hard one being on lockdown and in self-isolation, but I have a great group of people around me and we are getting through. Some of the things I am thankful for during this time has been a reconnection with my family in the UK, spending more time with them virtually, as well as with other amazing individuals online as well. I have had some of the biggest laughs on virtual happy hours that has brought people together from around the world. Also doing some buddy checks online and having to reach out and stay connected. I hope wherever you are that you are staying well and staying safe. This week, I have the pleasure of introducing you to a company that is taking your nuisance expenses and turning them into some of your most productive spend categories. But before I let you know about them, let's get to the question of the week. So I asked you, what are you or your company doing to reduce your carbon footprint? I actually... Um, listed a picture of sustainable development goals that the UN has put in to place. And I said, pick where you have the most influence and get started there. If you want to go check that out, it's over on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page. Kieran says, for me, the first step is that organizations, companies, etc., take accountability and implement deliberate culture change to show intent to prioritize the environment over margins. Lenka says the first step is to review the corporate strategy and values and realign them with planetary boundaries for physical considerations and either the UN Global Compact SDGs or the Donut Circular Economy Framework to take the social considerations into account 
too. Irina Roska, this is such a great question. We've discussed at length the importance of not doing anything in silo. In my opinion, the first important step to becoming an eco-friendly and world-friendly business is to collaborate and partner with suppliers and customers to really lessen the whole network impact. Jonathan M. Townsley, I think this is a great area um, for businesses to make some changes. Wes says, we work with our client partners to cut out unnecessary trips from point A to point B, better communication and looking at the supply chain as a whole versus in sections allows us to do this really effectively. Um, thank you so much to everyone who was a part of that conversation this week. If you didn't have time this week, make sure to join us next Wednesday on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. We ask a question every single Wednesday morning on the Let's Talk Supply Chain social media. Now back to today's show. Joining me today is Rich Ham. He is the CEO of Fine Tune. He is here with me today to talk about who they are, what they do, and why you should take note of how their process is yielding results all across supply chains everywhere. Before getting a closer glimpse into what Fine Tune is doing, let's get to know Rich a little bit more. In early 2002, Rich resigned a position with an industry-leading uniform supplier and founded Fine Tune in a basement in Bloomington, Indiana. He oversees all areas of the business with a particular focus on the firm's overall strategic direction. Rich dedicates his time to building and developing the team of tuners and engaging with the major and national clientele. So welcome to the show, Rich. Thank you, Sarah. Happy to be here. Yeah, procurement is such a big and important part of the supply chain, and I'm excited to share the fine-tuned story with our community today. So let's dive in and just get started. Why don't you tell us, you know, who is Fine-Tune, what is the story behind the brand, and why did you start the company? Well, first of all, thanks for expressing interest in us and, and having me today. Fine-Tune, um, we are a niche expense management solution. Um, we're focused on a small handful of of particularly burdensome expenses that we refer to or have come to refer to through the years as nuisance expenses. And it's a, mm -hmm. it's a descriptor that's, um, I think, uh, rung very true to our, our clients. Um, the expenses that we specialize in, the three niche categories that we focus um, on are the uniform and industrial laundering industry, uh, the waste and recycling industry, and the pest control industry. Now, we manage these nuisance expenses on behalf of our clients by deploying, uh, first and foremost, world-class experts from the highest levels of these industries. We've got folks on our team that come from the belly of the beast uh, in within these categories. People like Brian Gamble, who uh, spent 20 years at Aramark Uniform Services, and when he resigned his position to join our team a few years back, um, was a, a regional vice president over an eight-state region in the Midwest, one of nine RVPs at Aramark, had held almost every position on his way up from guy loading boxes on trucks, you know, back in 20 years prior to, to RVP when he left Aramark to join us. Uh, these experts are armed with uh, the proprietary software.
software that we've built specifically around these these highly complex categories. And so for our clients, uh, you know, the fine-tuned strategy is both a cost savings play and a productivity play. We save them money while allowing them to check out of these burdensome expenses and allowing them to focus on bigger priorities. So the reason I started the company um, is well, I work for the industry leader in the uniform space, and I, I came to understand during the time that I worked there that I was selling a service that m- my my customers never really fully grasped, uh, even, the, even the smartest and most experienced of them. Uh, it, it was a highly complex expense. Um, there was so much to know, and as a result... Of, of how much there was to know there were there were so many unknown unknowns to even the smartest buyers and and so that alone f- left me feeling like I always had the upper hand in negotiating a contract or working through an issue with with a particular customer um, but then even when one of my customers would have done a really exemplary job maybe got 95 percent of a contract just about right um, there was a tremendous gap between what got negotiated and what ultimately got executed. Um, we were really good at uh, exploiting the 5% that was missed in that contract to the tune of 20 or 25% uh, hard dollar costs. Wow. And yeah. And so there was, and honestly, it wasn't all because of the, the practices on the supplier side, although that was certainly a part of it. Some of it was just about, you know, natural landscape changes, things that decisions that would get made in the field after contracts were rolled out of procurement into the operation side of a business. So that was part of it. But then the other thing I kept noticing from my customers was this was a really noisy and distracting expense that tended to divert resources from higher priority initiatives within procurement. And, um, you know, ultimately I thought, you know, A, um, the people I deal with would really love to check out of this expense so that they can focus on bigger priorities, but it keeps kind of sucking them back in. And then B, it was a very elementary thought that I had, which was kind of along the lines of, you know, I think I could really save people a lot of money on this expense if they would just share the savings with me. Um, and, and I have to admit as a side note, you know, I wasn't a business major in college. I was, uh, you know, I was a, a journalism and political science major. So I, and I never was a person who had read Forbes or Business Week as I, you know, started cutting my teeth in the business world. And so I, I have to admit a certain level of naivete in terms of not understanding at that time that this business I was conceptualizing, you know, that, that I would be launching my partner and, and myself into an arena that already existed and was populated with other firms, you know, in this this consulting world, uh, you know, a sub arena of the consulting world, if you will, uh, that are populated by firms selling a service that says, Hey buddy, I'll save you some money on X. If you'll share the savings with me, or I'll, I'll advance your interests on Y. If you'll share the gains with me. Um, I've come to understand that broader arena, certainly, uh, (laughs) to a much greater level of sophistication in the last 18 years since we started fine tune, but at its core, it was really just a common sense, thought of, wow, this is complex and the expense kind of drives people crazy. And I think I could save people some money on it if they just, you know, share the savings with us. And so that was at its foundation. That was, uh, that was the thought process that led to our, our formation. 
And that was how Fine Tune was born. Now, I think you mentioned, you know, a few really key points here. And it's that you've taken and you're working with people who have been inside those industries. They know those industries inside and out. And like you said, the procurement specialists um, that are, you know, looking at these spend categories that are necessary, but not necessarily high priority, they must you know, love the fact that you've got people from inside the industry that just can come in and really help them hone in on what they should be doing in those categories, how they can make it more efficient and bring the cost savings in-house that maybe they've been missing before. Yeah, they we've found, and especially as our clients have gotten bigger and bigger through the years, and as a result, um, you know, the 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 truths that are lying beneath the surface of their their large complex accounts are more you know more varied uh, better hidden have more layers of complexity um, and where the solutions are not as readily apparent um, you know we've found that our clients have liked us more and more as they as we've gotten you know as we've grown and as our clients have become larger and larger companies, we manage many of the nation's largest accounts today, companies like Cargill and advanced auto parts and pep boys and smuckers. And, and so um, as you know, in the early days when we were selling local machine shops and, and bakeries, you know, I, I can't claim that the level of sophistication was all that impressive. There was, a, there were occasions where we were able to really blow away a client with, you know, uh, something that we figured out that they hadn't hadn't been able to prior to our involvement, but today that's like a, a it's a daily occurrence because um, you know we have imagine you're the the director of procurement at a at a you know fifty billion dollar enterprise with a five million dollar a year waste and recycling program, but you have you know there, there's that's five million of the sixty million a year you're responsible for. So in theory, it should garner about you know one twelfth of your time. Um, I mean, that person has never gotten anything beyond a, a surface level understanding of of what's going on, truly going on at ground level in their program, and and we're there to get you know to the nth degree to multiple layers of depth, you know, beyond that surface level understanding. And we also come armed, of course, with the, the very powerful knowledge of the the very sophisticated cost models of the supplier side of the equation and and using that knowledge to identify what optimal cost levels are for a particular account and then knowing what strategies to pursue to get there. I mean, yeah, that's all, it's a pretty powerful game changer for our clients, you know, admittedly within these smaller categories that they could never justify, um, you know, trying to duplicate what we do in house because they'd be spending too much time on, on a category that may be, you know, four or five, 6% of their overall sphere of responsibility. Yeah, but not only that, you're also bringing, you know, I think the key parts of business to the forefront in your relationship, you know, and that's trust and collaboration. You know, it's not just like you said initially about going in and being like, hey, we can cut this and do this and da, 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 da. You're going in with a process. You're going in with the people from inside that industry. You're creating that trust. You've got a proven process, proven model, and you're partnering with them. You're collaborating with them to say, hey, you know, let us take this off your plate because we know you've got so much more that needs your attention 
let us take that, let us put the attention that it needs. And so that we can make you into and be the procurement hero that you should be. It's, it's a good point. And I think the best proof of the truth of what you're saying is, and this was honestly one of the big questions we had when we started the business was, okay, we're going to sell this service that involves getting our clients to whatever optimal cost levels are within the areas that we're going to specialize in. And, and I wonder what's going to happen once we get them there. Um, you know, will they want us to stick around? Uh, and, right. and admittedly, back in 2002, this was a bit of a, a looming question for us. And we thought we had a viable business, even if the answer wasn't usually yes, but we, we certainly hoped it would be. And over time, we found that we almost never lose a client and more and more of our clients as they emerge from what what typically are you know initial agreements that are involve a compensation model revolving around sharing savings um we're seeing that almost all of our clients end up converting once we get them to whatever rock bottom is for their account um end up converting to some form of a a management fee-based engagement where they just say look i'm i know that rock bottom plus this fee to you is better than rock bottom without you. I don't want mm-hmm. you to go away um, because of all that you've brought to light. Um, and I know what happens to our bottom line if you go away. And I also know that my productivity suffers. So, so yeah, that's been a huge part of our success over the last decade or so. You know, when we got to year six, seven, eight, nine, we started seeing, oh, wow, they're, they're, this, is, this really dramatically improves our model because they, they don't want us to go away. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to get back to asking you a little bit more and going more in depth on the complexity of these particular expenses. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask you, you know, overall, you've mentioned some of the challenges that procurement professionals are facing right now. What are some of the other challenges that you think that they're facing um, at this moment and in this global supply chain climate? Sure. Well, a couple months back, I had a discussion with... Um, a large global conglomerate client of ours going back a number of years. And I, I was speaking with um, the, the chief of, of indirect um, for their entire company. And, and he told me that they, um, they, they had, a, you know, he was responsible for almost 3 billion a year in indirect spend globally. And I asked him, I said, what you manage that nearly 3 billion with what kind of a team of buyers and he told me 30. And I said, okay, so that's nearly $100 million a year per buyer. And he kind of chuckled and said, yeah, I see where you're going. He said, I, of course, we've got to find strategies to augment those resources because admittedly those resources are lean. And if I had a dime for every time I've heard the word lean used to describe a procurement department, over the you know last basically since the great recession you know i mean i would have a large stack of dimes um and you know so that is the starting point is we the landscape which frankly has been very favorable for firms like us the landscape is one where folks in procurement are being asked to do more with less it's not like the pressures to drive uh, savings have lessened, if anything, they've grown. Right. But if the one story I've seen repeatedly is uh, Bob the buyer retires and a new Bob does not get hired. <laughs> Instead, right. 
the rest of the team gets to split up Bob's work. Um, and congratulations, everybody just picked up an, ad- an additional, you know, 12% responsibility. And so, um, and it's probably positioned, you know, as, hey, it's ex- extra opportunity for you. And, and that there may be some truth in that, but ultimately, um, new strategies have to be brought to bear because there's just, you know, I can't think of a single client expense management department that I work with that could possibly truly effectively manage their full spectrum of expenses. So you have to make some business decisions along the way. And, um, you know, one of very often what I find is that we have been an alternative to no strategy whatsoever. Um, I'll often hear people, you know, well, our sales team will ask, uh, a buyer, what, what are your plans for waste and recycling? And they'll say, well, we certainly won't be getting to that this year and probably not next year. There's, there's two and a half years left on, on our, our national contract. So maybe we'll revisit that in the first quarter of 2022. I mean, to me, that sounds like not a strategy. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound like much of a strategy. Every few years, we'll do something in the marketplace, but we, we're kind of riding a roller coaster and we don't really have what I would call a solution. Um, and this is where I think we've benefited greatly from these, these challenges that have been foisted upon procurement professionals. They just can't possibly be expected to engage in the joust with their full supplier base month after month. And there are certain expenses, and this is where we get to kind of where your question started, the complexity of these particular categories. There are certain expenses that require a higher level of ongoing, dedicated, vigilant management than others. Put it this way. If you think of all the expenses that that a particular buyer manages as, as falling somewhere on a spectrum from simple widget at one end of the spectrum out to complex service at the other end. Um, I think it stands to reason that as you move further and further out towards the complex service end of the spectrum, you're going to be talking about expenses where a greater degree of involvement of dedication and vigilant management is required if you really want to get what you sign up for in those areas. And yet there's the conundrum. You don't have the time to do it. And so, you know, I think if if you're an, an average buyer, you might say, okay, well, I'll work on what I'm working on and I'll get to the rest when I get to it. But if you're really, you know, a strategic thinker, you're going to go, okay, I, it's not like I can do nothing about the stuff I'm not actively working on. I've got to have a strategy. And that's, you know, that, that's kind of a common thread across all of our clients. They're working on other stuff, but they've got a strategy in these little niche nuisance areas that they know are high supplier margin expenses. They're, they're expenses that tend to be a distraction. And so they've, they've implemented a real solution while they're working on other stuff. Well, and they're leaving from what I'm hearing from you is that they're leaving money on the table, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's not their job, right? Their job is, and you know, at some point it's gonna, it's gonna come to bear, you know, the, the, the department is lean. You are managing this amount of spend. You're leaving money on the table in certain categories. So what are you going to do about it? Um, in my mind, strategically, like you said, you know, go and look for those partners that you can count on that can take over those particularly uh, to particular category spends and, um, you know, make them more efficient. And not only will 
you uh, benefit from it. Your team's going to benefit from it. The business is going to benefit from it. And I think that, you know, I say on the show all the time, collaboration is the future of business. And I really, really think that, you know, you can't be just dumping more work on somebody. You need to be strategically thinking about the different partnerships that can be brought on board that are going to help you in certain categories and reduce that amount of extra work that people are overwhelmed with potentially, you know, and leaving money on the table. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And I think one of the things that if you get down to the category owner level can be sometimes a concern, but it, it shouldn't be there is, is, um, Maybe maybe it's a, a notion if they work in, in a more old school industry of, well, this is my job. This is I'm supposed to be the one doing this. But the math doesn't add up. I mean, you literally can't do, quote, your job across your full spectrum of expenses that you're responsible for. It's, right. it's literally not possible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I've seen consistently from among our clients is that when you get to the director and VP levels in a in a, you know, a procurement organization, you find that they are looking for the kinds of strategic thinkers that will be, you know, doing exemplary work with whatever they've got their fingerprints directly on, but are also at the same time driving strategies that that can supplement their good work in those higher priority areas with actual real results in in other in other areas simultaneously. I mean, that's to me the difference between a good buyer and a great buyer is is the one who is able to to drive results in in categories that they're not even actively working on themselves. Absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. And um, I think that, you know, going back to that collaboration and that partnership point is really just going to drive that forward. So you spoke a little bit about this in the beginning. Um, It sounds like there's a lot of competition in this space. So if I'm, you know, in the procurement space and I'm looking for that partner or that collaborator that is going to, you know, help ease the pain and help take take that money off the table, you know, what sets you apart? Why should I give Fine Tune a call? Well, and to be fair, I, I would say that we don't find ourselves in situations where we have a direct competitor very often, but we do find ourselves in competitive situations frequently. So I'll, I'll tell you what I mean when I say that. Um, as a general rule, um, the the arena of the consulting world that, that's populated by, you know, a, an, an expense management solution of one kind or another um, tends not to be a full service solution. And so this is really where we differentiate ourselves. The best way I can describe what fine tune will do for a particular client is imagine an alternative world where you had a category manager on staff, let's say you had a, a, a $5 million a year uniform and industrial laundry and uniform rental program, and you had a category manager on staff whose only job was managing that category. Now, I'm not, I'm not finding too many industrial or pharmaceutical companies these days who's, who, who uh, hire buyers to manage $5 million a year, but if they're out there, God bless them. Um, and let, what would you, the question I have is, what would you have that buyer do if that was their whole job? Well, of course, you would do everything required to optimally manage that one category. It would start with data collection. You'd, you'd, you'd come to understand the lay of the land. Um, you'd establish a baseline. What are we doing today? What are we spending money on? Um, 
from the micro to the macro. Um, and where, where is it going? What are our contractual obligations? Where do we stand in the marketplace? Um, what are our opportunities? Uh, what are the threats? Uh, you would move then into some strategy setting. What is optimal market cost levels for our uh, for our the goods and services that we require in this space, and how can we get there in a as quick a time frame as possible, and and be in as politically popular a manner as possible in a way that'll make my field happy. Um, then you you would go to the marketplace. You would um, you would pursue the strategies that you set. You would oversee the implementation of the results of those open market activities, um, and then uh, you would be there to make sure you actually see the results that you intended to see all along. So those are all the things fine tune does. But now imagine for the moment that you had not only that that resource on staff dedicated just to that five million dollar a year uniform rental account, but that person spent twenty years working at an industry leader in the space and reached you know the executive levels of that industry leader, and that person is armed with proprietary software designed specifically to make sure that their efforts aren't eroded after deals get done, uh, then the auditing and expense management uh, software that, that ensures that their smart efforts actually see the light of day. That's the situation we put our clients in. And so, you know, I, I don't find in the consulting world that we have direct competitors that offer that. What I do find is more broadly focused expense management solutions that if you go to their website, they'll tell you they're, they're experts in 50 things or 40 things. And so, right. um, you know, those kinds of companies can be a good resource in a lot of ways. We're just kind of apples and oranges. They know a little about a lot and we know a lot about a little. I, you know, I can't help. Um, I don't I don't really tend to help clients with their MRO supplies program, but within uniforms and waste and recycling and pest control. We, we make a quantum impact. So once we're able to convey the differences to our clients, normally what they do is, is, is peel our areas if they have a broader relationship with a firm that manages, um, you know, 30 categories for them. They'll, they'll peel out our, our, you know, three nuisance expenses from that broader relationship and, and uh, you know, continue on with their other solutions in other areas. And that, you know, that totally makes sense. And I'm just wondering if, you know, can you paint us a picture of maybe an example of what you've saved one of your customers? Sure. Um, well, one of my favorite stories, just because they're near and dear to my heart, um, our first real national account, we, we landed it. We were about a three and a half year old business in the summer of 2005. And Flint Group, which is the one of the world's largest ink makers and a large uh, global chemical business um, headquartered in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time. Um, they became our first real national account in the U.S. And so here we were all of a sudden with a, a very complex decentralized account with, you know, 50 plus ink making operations throughout the U.S. and Canada. And they had 14 different suppliers under 20 different supplier contracts the data collection alone, because it was decentralized, was, I mean, just a, a, a titanic chore um, for us. And and so we, we set about the process that I just described, data collection, baseline assessment, strategy setting, you know, open market deal making, uh, implementation, and then ongoing management. And and to, to kind of 
uh, give you the vastly abridged version. Um, when the dust settled, uh, we had taken them from 14 suppliers down to five and then, and then later to four. Um, going about a process of common sense consolidation, not consolidation just for consolidation's purposes. Um, you know, for example, there was one, one, uh, one location that used an outlier supplier that we didn't really have national strategic interests with, but uh, they were right across the street from them. <laughs> it felt like a good fit, so we retained them. Um, you know, and there were other instances like that. But you know, where the rubber meets the road, uh, you know, we reduced their supplier costs by north of thirty-five percent. And um, fifteen years later, they're still a client. Uh, in fact, they'll become our first fifteen-year client this June. Um, the relationship uh, has only grown in the intervening years. They added the waste and recycling account a number of years back now, so we managed both of those service lines for them. Um, and this is a lean, uh, just like the rest of my clients, it's a lean purchasing department that uh, their people just have to focus on on bigger priority areas. And, and they could honestly say that for a decade and a half now, they – have not been burdened by what is for most businesses a very burdensome expense than the uniform category. They've been able to offload the headaches and the labor intensive activities that come with that category to us. Meanwhile, they've got peace of mind that they have resided pretty much at rock bottom cost levels for that entire duration within that category. And so it's a real success story. Um, you know, and, and it, it's, uh, I could, repeat a, a similar refrain for, you know, across our spectrum of clientele, but it's, uh, that's one of my favorites just because they gave us a chance when we were still a relative startup, you know, all those years ago. I love those stories. And it's, you know, a testament to what you are doing at fine tune to have a company stick with you over that decade and a half, you know, as you grew and as you fine tuned, pardon the pun, Mm -hmm. what you were doing at the company. And, you know, like I said, it just goes to show that you know what you're doing and that you've been able to, they've stuck with you as you've grown and as you have expanded, you know, these categories and your customer base and, and all of that. So congratulations on the 15 year customer. And, you. Uh, you, you know, I, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that story with us. So I want to talk about just a little bit more about the ongoing management, because you said that that is a differentiator. You yeah. said that that is something that is crucial. It's key to that expense management category, especially in these three categories. So walk us through your process. You know, if I were to call you tomorrow, what would that look like? And why is that ongoing management so important? Well, I'll tackle the latter part of that question first. Um, because I think it's such a critical uh, concept for a buyer to consider when they're talking to us. You know, there are certain expenses, I think, in any organization. I, I haven't met the company yet where there's zero friction between procurement and operations. Um, <clears throat> you know, that and there are certain expenses that I think cause that friction more than others. And, and they're the kinds of expenses where the promises of procurement don't tend to, to come to fruition. And to be clear, it's not always procurement's fault. Procurement sometimes makes mistakes and will get things wrong in a contract and or there'll be unintended consequences of a, of a contractual move that a, a buyer makes that, that when it gets handed off to 
to the internal customers on the operations side, um, they realize, gosh, this is not what I was told it was. And sometimes it's changes that are made by operations, but but we specialize in the kinds of expenses where those realities tend to be most uh, magnified and, and inflamed. And, and so, you know, I think what we are able to provide for our clients, and it's, it's really, if I, if I could pick up on the Flint Group story, it's part and parcel of why we've lasted, uh, why the relationship has lasted 15 years, is the field operators, which had prior to our involvement been, you know, consistently frustrated by this expense and probably had been made some promises from buyers through the years that, hey, here's this new uniform contract that's going to save you 30%. And they went, you know, no, it was 12. <laughs> it wasn't 30, it was 12. And a year later, it was zero. And a year later, it was 12 the, the wrong way. Um, and so they actually finally saw a an actual solution in an area that had been a persistent problem. And the reason that it was different, that, that this new strategy was different than all the previous ones, was the ongoing management. Um, we specialize in areas that you just don't tend to get what you sign up for without ongoing, dedicated, vigilant enforcement. And so um, circling back to the first part of your question, what do we do? Uh, it goes back to that, uh, that description I offered earlier of what the optimal buyer would do in the category. We start by you know, gathering data. Now, the good news here is we've We've evolved to the point where we don't need to rely on our, our clients uh, in the data gathering phase at all. We are uh, we have we manage enough business um, within uh, our our areas of expertise that our, our relationships with the industry's leading suppliers have you know arrived at a point where we have an agreed upon a format that they're sending us data in. So we're collecting data without having to intrude upon our, our client schedules or needing their assistance with all that, getting our hands on contracts and invoices. Um, from that point, we're, we're taking that data back to the shop, if you will, and, and establishing baselines, you know, building down from the macro to the micro, making sure that we understand all the nooks and crannies of the, of the category uh, in question, where the money is going. Um, inevitably, you can't glean everything from an invoice. So uh, there may, there will be inevitably a uh, moments in the process where we're establishing baselines where we say, hey, what's what's this line item? And maybe light can be shed with a call to a supplier contact or to a plant level contact on the client side. But sometimes we've got to put boots on the ground in a facility and see, hey, does my client have what this invoice says they have? And are they using what they actually have? Often the answer to those questions is no. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's a there's a combination of, you know, invoice and contract analysis with actual boots on the ground analysis, all of which ultimately produces a baseline. Here's where we are today. And then comes strategy. Here's where we are today. Here's where we think you should be uh, based on our, you know, high level intel within these areas. Uh, and so let's talk about how to get you there. Uh, quickly. We want to drive quick wins for our clients, but we also want to make common sense decisions that don't upset the apple cart that are as unintrusive as possible within their organizations. Once we all agree on a strategy, there is collaboration there, as you've alluded to. That's we're not, We don't come in and dictate strategy. It's here's what I would do if I were you. Is there anything I might not be thinking of? What's important to your organization? What are your priorities? How can Absolutely. we drive... Yeah, how can we drive wins beyond the savings? And so we come to understand all of that um, and emerge with an agreed upon strategy. And then the one common thread across all our clients is they're not working on uniforms or waste or pest control. They're working on other stuff. So then we go into the marketplace and we execute that strategy. And on that 
front, I kind of think it's it's almost more appropriate to view us as a subcontractor than a consultant. We're doing the work, whereas a lot of times you might a buyer might have a an impression that a consultant is somebody that brings you a strategy, but then you have to execute it. No, you're you're working on other stuff while we're executing our agreed upon strategies in the marketplace keeping our clients briefed at whatever level they want to be briefed while while that process is playing out, overseeing implementation. And then once savings is finally implemented and realized, that's kind of the critical moment where our path diverges from other entities that might be more of a, a sourcing solution or a deal-making solution that leaves it to the, the client to manage the expense on an ongoing basis. We know that if we go away at that critical moment, our client won't get what they signed up for. And the operators in the field will feel like procurement's promises were broken and the, the, the efforts of procurement were quickly eroded as soon as the ink was drying on the new deal. And that a year later or two years later, they'll look back and see it didn't play out the way it was supposed to. And so that's where you know, our auditing software, for example, and expense management software comes into play where we're deploying the tools that we've built to make sure that our clients actually get what they sign up for and that our experts don't go away. So when issues arise in the field, which can be complex issues, uh, service-related issues, or occasionally there's a really big event that happens like, hey, we just announced the biggest acquisition in our company's history. Everybody's hair's on fire. I need your help. Can you evaluate the contracts we just inherited and help advise us down a course of action? Um, you know, we're, we're there to, to respond as an optimal expense management resource would in any of these uh, scenarios so that our clients can remain focused on, on their uh, most mission critical priorities. So that uh, the ongoing management and the not going away really is so utterly critical um, to our offering. And it really is what makes us unique in the marketplace. Yeah. And you've been able to really provide some great examples of how the ongoing management would really come into effect. And, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios that do come up that maybe we're not, we don't think about today, but think about at the time it makes us reactionary, but let's be more proactive and come up with a win-win solution, which it sounds like, you know, you guys have really done and really created in that relationship with your customers. So we are winding down and this is the last question, but I want to ask you quickly, you know, what's next for FineTune? Well, um, that's, that's my area. I, I, that's, we have such an awesome team that I get to spend most of my time focused on what's next. Uh, the, the most immediate term answer is growing our newest offering, the pest control offering, which was only launched at the, uh, the very tail end of, of 2019. We're thrilled to be building that offering around our, our VP, Keith Robinson, in that space, who is a, an absolute wizard from that industry. Um, we'll continue to diversify our offering, broadening uh, what we do to include other expenses, which fit uh, naturally under this nuisance expense umbrella, expenses where they take more time than they're worth and kind of distract from, from more mission-critical priorities. As we diversify the offering, of course, we will continue to expand and evolve our software to make sure that that uh, is a critical aspect of this this world-class solution. Um, and, of course, building out the team with, with um, top-notch experts from within our targeted industries. And a couple other final notes, I would say um, it's a recent development, but in the last year, our multinational clients have started to request our assistance uh, with their European operations and Central American operations. I'm actively uh, looking to make our first hires 
across the pond in, in Europe. And so uh, looking for, uh, for new tuners in, in Germany and Ireland at, the, at present. And the final note that I would add is just um, in this last year, my partner, Matt Smith, and I, he was my founding partner, we decided that, that it was really important to us that we use the, the, the privileged position that we've attained through the years to try to do some good. And we agreed that, um, that our initiative as a company, and which was a natural fit with our, our, uh, the areas that we specialize in, was going to be sustainability. And so we've, we formed a sustainability committee that is focused, you know, on both some near term and longer term objectives in the near term. It's, you know, making sure that we are best in class as a company. Um, we've, we've started a, a project with atmosphere.org where we're um, offsetting not only our present day run rate carbon footprint with donations to the, their Nigerian cook stoves project, but by our 20th anniversary on, on February 2nd of 2022, uh, we will have uh, donated enough to that project to offset our company's entire his- historical carbon footprint. So we're thrilled with that. And our committee is also working on looking for ways to adapt and apply our model in the years to come to promote uh, ways to bend our clients' behaviors in more sustainable directions and apply the the shared gains model, if you will, um, to those initiatives. So we're really excited about what we're doing in sustainability, and it's a it's a mission for me, you know, within our our broader mission at Fine Tune. So uh, excited about all that, and uh, appreciate you giving me a chance to to share it. Yeah, I'm, and I'm really excited to see where you go with that. I mean, sustainability is a huge topic of conversation, um, being able to reduce or even eliminate the carbon footprint. Um, you know, I like the fact that you are innovative in that regard. You're thinking about it and you're putting it into practice. So getting a hold of these top three spend categories is a must. So why not fine tune your business with the simplest solutions for your complex expenses? For more information about fine tune, rich and this episode, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash episode 109 or visit their website at finetuneus.com. Thank you to Rich Young and the team at Fine Tune for making this episode happen and to Rich Ham for coming on the show today and sharing your insights about our biggest hidden spend categories and how Fine Tune can help. Thanks so much, Sarah. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you like this episode, please visit the podcast page at let's talk supply for more episodes. Next week is the beginning of another new month. And Angie Reno is joining us for our woman in supply chain feature. Angie is a great friend of mine, a powerhouse with so much heart and a journey that will inspire you. Stay tuned next week for that episode. If you'd like to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. Follow us, follow 
follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to us on YouTube at the SC Supply Chain TV. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want some more news and information, subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. Next, ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. We are in pilot mode. We are getting ready to bring together shippers and freight forwarders into one powerful streamlining tool. If you'd like more information, go to ships, that's S-H-I-P-Z dot com. Next, for the supply chain management professional, procurement professional, logistician in your life, we've got some really, really fun and great merch over on the Let's Talk Supply Chain under shop. Plus, we have a supply chain dictionary full of acronyms and definitions that you will need to succeed in your supply chain career. Lastly, go and rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts, and we will feature you on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.